Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. Each week, a recovered alcoholic woman is interviewed and asked questions about certain topics surrounding her journey of recovery with your host, Stephanie Crawford. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, or just supporting someone who is, we are so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Stephanie Crawford, and I am the host of this here podcast. Um, And this is a episode of Recovered Interviews with Alcoholic Women. Today's guest, I believe you will all love. She has great vibes and I'm sure those will come through the recording and through the audio. And I know she's gonna have some great experience to share and I'm just so excited for you guys and you're all in for a treat. So our guest name is Alicia. And so if you could introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background on like what led you to get sober. Okay. Um, my name is Alicia. I'm an alcoholic. I've been sober since February 14th of 2019. And that is purely a miracle. You know, I spent about 16 years in my alcoholism. A few of those years I was abstinent. I don't really like to say I was sober because I don't, I was, I was still a teenager and I hadn't really crossed the threshold. I don't think yet. Um, and then kind of took off when I was, when I was 17 again and spent 10 years mainly just in it. And then the last few years in and out and, um, I, I will be very honest and say one of the main reasons I got sober was, well, one, I was, I was just sick of what I was doing with my life and and the way I was treating people and the way I was treating myself most of all. But also I was terrified that I would lose my parents and the last thing they would remember is me being in active alcoholism. And so I, um, you know, I was, I was pretty bad. I was, I was experiencing homelessness at the time. And, you know, my, my parents were amazing. They never gave up on me. They, they didn't enable me, but they never gave up on me when I was ready. And I can, it was Super Bowl weekend. I can remember it was Super Bowl Sunday. I, uh, went to go, um, you know, get what I needed to get through the night. And instead of walking back to some hotel room that I was living in, I walked to my dad's house and I walked in during halftime during the Super Bowl, and, you know, began this stint of of recovery, which has been um, my longest time in recovery, which is pretty cool. So that is pretty cool. That's awesome, actually. Uh, So you got into drugs and alcohol at a pretty young age, right? I was 11. Um, 11. Yes, I was 11. I actually, I don't think I've ever told this part of my story and and I'm I'm so glad I remember it. I actually had my first sip of beer when I was five. My dad and, you know, (laughs) 
my dad's not one of us. My mom is. My mom uh, was in her alcoholism pretty much my whole childhood. But my dad, he was supposed to be refilling my apple juice and instead put some beer in it. And I was livid. And then, <laughs> which is, you know, funny now that you know, I'm a recovered alcoholic, but um, he had no idea, of course, that what was to ensue, I guess. And, but yeah, I, I started drinking um, and doing drugs pretty heavily when I was 11. Uh, like I mentioned, my mother was in her addiction when I was growing up. Um, you know, we had been evicted from uh, our the house that I grew up in due to my mom's alcoholism and drug addiction. Went through some pretty, pretty tough times. Uh, you know, no water, no heat, no whatever. You know, my mom wasn't very present. Um, it was just me and my brother and we were kids. So I kind of got into a bad crowd you know, an older crowd that uh, really had no business hanging out with an 11 year old, that's for sure. But it was kind of kind of gang culture, you know, where I, where I was growing up at and uh, that I kind of got sucked into that and, you know, started doing pretty wild stuff when I was way too young to be doing that stuff. And so, yeah, ages 11 to 13, I was, um, you know, I was, I was drinking out of, out of control and um, I was also, I was, I was smoking pot and uh, that was pretty much what I did for a really long time. For those, for those years, I, I ended up going back to it. Um, I got, we got evicted out of our last apartment when I was 13 and my mom kind of went missing for a few years. I mean, she was, she was alive and around, but she was, you know, doing her own thing and wasn't really able to be present as a mother. And, you know, now Oh, I understand that. I didn't understand that then, but, and so I went to go move in with my dad when I was 13 with my stepmom and my dad. And then I, I stayed straight for a couple of years, 14 through 16. I didn't do anything. Um, I smoked cigarettes. <laughs> so <laughs> cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was the coolest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I started young and then my senior year of high school, you know, I, I had achieved a lot in school. I had already gotten a full ride scholarship to college. I graduated four, number four out of my class out of like five or 600 kids and was the number one lady, which was my claim to fame, I guess. And uh, yeah, I had a full ride scholarship. And so I was like, I don't want to do anything else. And I didn't. And so I, uh, I kind of went back to drinking and, you know. Did you um, use that full ride scholarship? I did. I did. Um, I went straight into college. I went to uh, University of Texas at Dallas. I uh, have a literature degree. So um, I have a bachelor's in literature. And um, during those four years, I also got a minor in Spanish and Hispanic area studies. So like my focus was it's very niche. Uh, it was a uh, Mexican and Cuban revolution literature. So um, I, I used to be quite the uh, scholar in that. And then during that time, I also got my teaching certification. So I taught, um, I, I got a teaching certification, English language arts and reading grades eight through 12. And I student taught my last semester, wrote a thesis, graduated with honors and the whole time I was drinking. Wow. Mm -hmm. And partying and, you know, I was, I was, I had a full social life. I, I worked full time. Uh, I was working, I worked for Hot Topic for six years, which 
checks out, right? <laughs> you just look at me, so. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, I, uh, and you know, there was some pretty dark times during that. Uh, I'm, I've always kind of been a, a, a student. I love to learn, um, you know, reading and learning kind of when I was a child was my escape from a lot of the, the stuff that was going on at home with my mom and, you know, growing up with her and all of her, her stuff. And, you know, when I was a senior in high school, right, actually right after I graduated, she came to my high school graduation and the next month she was in federal prison. Um, so, you know, from, from some stuff that had, you know, consequences of her actions from when she was in her addiction and, uh, you know, it was, it, reading was kind of my, my safe place, you know, it was my safe place. And so I pursued that. I actually started as a math major in college, but um, <laughs> I had taken an insane amount of math in, in high school. I was really good at math. I was really just a really good student all around, except for economics. I was not a good economic student, but I just kind of got bored with math. And so I decided to do literature because I had this like really, you know, Fan, like big fantasy of like reading Dickens and drinking wine and you know talking about it and and you know yeah. <laughs> higher societies I guess <laughs> that's awesome yeah I just want to like pause real quick and like say to listeners that you know we often can well not us because we've been there people right, can often like label or stereotype or judge someone who's active in addiction or or an alcoholic and, you know, is like a low life or all the other things. And, but like what you've just described is we are smart, capable human beings who did not set out with the intention, right, of like being an alcoholic or a drug addict and ending up homeless. Um, and that we all have our stories. Right. And like, right. I don't know. I just think that it's important to point that out that who you are. Um, yeah, it's, it's super important. I mean, you know, I, I used to draw this very hard line between when I was a functional alcoholic, right? Which I don't really believe exists. I don't, I don't believe in that. I think it's a myth. And when I was a, a homeless alcoholic, right? I, I, I typically, cause I didn't, I, I didn't touch drugs until I was like 24. And so I kind of draw this line. I used to, I, I've, I've come to realize it was one and the same, but I used to draw this line, right? Like, I just want to get back to who I was when I was in college. I just want to get back to who I was before I, I took a different, like I took a little bit of a darker path. Right. And, and I have to say like drugs are a part of my story and I am, I never ever thought that would be me. Right. But we never do. Um, but I'm, a, I'm grateful for having that in my story. Cause it got me here quicker because I, I mean, you know, it brought me to my knees much quicker than I believe than alcohol would have. Um, because it wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And I was, and I was, you know, I, I graduated college when I was 21 and I became a teacher. I started teaching uh, 12th grade English when I was 22 years old. Wow. Did you have uh, seniors like try to holler oh, at you and stuff? Uh, yeah. But, and let me tell you my first, 
first day in the classroom, right, I would close the door and then my students knew later on if I close the door I'm about to get real serious um and be like listen because you know when they're coming in they're like dang miss and like all this I'm like okay yeah sure come on in and uh I'll close the door and I would say you know what I didn't date high school boys when I was in high school I'm not starting out you are not worth my job and um you're not smart enough <laughs> that's that's awesome um you're writing so no no No, actually honestly my students were very respectful they were they were super respectful I'm still friends with a lot of them you know it's real weird uh to see how much they've grown it's just why my the last grade I taught was ninth grade and they all just the ones who they're the age of they just graduated college wow that's (laughs) insane and I totally relate by the way of like, cause drugs are also a part of my story and like definitely doesn't take away from the fact that I am a full blown alcoholic. Right. Um, but I also believe that they brought me to my knees and I remember the first time I came in, um, no, this time when I came in, I was 27, I was all upset. Like, oh, I gotta get sober so young. And yep. like, now I'm so grateful for that. Oh my God. Me too. Yeah. I was also 27 when I got sober this, this go around. So no way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And the different kind of 27 club, right? Yes. Oh my God. I love that because I literally was like, oh, I'm just going to die at 27. Like the yeah. grits and like be like, oh yeah, you know, this like misunderstood <laughs> soul, you know, and Ugh. yeah um, I used to have those thoughts too for sure yeah, um yeah ugh. pretty dark yeah uh, but I love that the other 27 clips so perfect so this is your first time experiencing recovery is that right no it, it's it's not it's my longest stint so okay. my my first my first true attempt at recovery was in 2016 um, I actually remember my very first sobriety date. It was September 23rd, 2016. And, you know, that, that really was the beginning of me really trying to get this deal because I am going to share this just because it's, it's my, it's my truth. I uh, was the night before I split some drugs with one of my friends and, and he overdosed and, and passed in front of me. Um, and, and I lived right. And that was a life-changing moment. You know, I wish I could say I stayed sober, uh, but I didn't, but, I, but that was the first time it really kind of clicked to me that like, this could be it. Like tomorrow might be my last day. It was, and, and I've had to do a lot of work around that night. You know, I've done EMDR around it. I've done a lot of trauma therapy because it was brutal. And, um, you know, and, and that's how, I mean, I knew I was, I knew I was an alcoholic because the way that I drank, right? Like I, when I took the alcoholic test in the big book, I passed, right? I, I was a true, I was the true alcoholic, but I, it never really dawned on me how severe it was because you know I was having fun right I was having fun I didn't want to feel feelings so I didn't have to but the day that I relapsed after that was the day that I was like holy crap I this is bad 
right? And I and I and I came in and out of the rooms for quite some time uh, after after that. I, I would get two weeks, maybe thirty days, maybe two days. You know, I I did the whole well, if, as long as I don't use this substance and I just do this, then I'm okay. But I, you know, ended up with the same results or as long as I just drink, it's fine because I, my life didn't look like this when I was drinking, even though my very first year teaching. And by the way, the only thing I ever wanted to be in my life was a teacher. That was my only plan. I had no backups. I didn't, it, it was the only thing that I had thought of doing. And, and then I did it. You know, I can remember wanting to take my life and I was in my own apartment alone, had a car, had had my dream job, right? I was teaching seniors and that was my dream job. And uh, I, I tried to drink myself to death one night. And I forget that, you know, I forget that it was that bad, but to, I have tried to get sober numerous times. And, you know, some of those were, were through jail. You know, I, I can remember getting arrested a couple of times and, and, and getting in the back of, you know, get handcuffs being put on me and just like breathing this sigh of relief. Like, oh my God, I don't have to do this tomorrow. Mm. Like just being so grateful that I got caught, which, you know, in the moment, like I was, of course, not super happy but like the next day I can remember like being super grateful especially I mean I have I have you know one of the times I got arrested the, the night before I had I was um the victim of a of a sexual assault on the streets and um the next day I got arrested and I was so freaking grateful and I stayed in jail for I think that was five months and I meant I won, and that was in 2017. And I knew I was gonna stay sober. I knew it. I just knew it. And uh, got out, went to treatment, and um, left within a week. Damn, that's like just speaks so much volume to like the mental obsession and yep. like the power of choice. You know, I have that exact same experience of like being in jail and like really committed to staying sober when I got out and like literally the day I got out I was doing the same stuff you know it's insane so I don't people always hate this question but like what was different this time versus all the other times you know uh, and I Nobody likes that question, especially when you're still in detox scrubs, right? And you have this sponsor, a temporary sponsor, it's your family or whatever. And they're like, what's different this time? Or, you know, that counselor and group and you're just like, dude, I just want to get better. I don't know what's different this time. But I, I had to ask myself that. I mean, I... I can remember um, when I asked my sponsor to sponsor me, I was, I was still in detox scrubs. Um, I, and you know, at that point you didn't, uh, treatment where I, where I went to treatment, you didn't have to go to meetings or any or group or anything when you were in detox, but I did. I went the first night I was there because I was so desperate and I had, I remembered her from the last time I was in treatment and I was, and she was still sober. I was like, Ooh, <laughs> let me ask her. And so I did. And, uh, 
I mean, I can remember just like, I just started bawling and I'm not a crier. Like I'm not, uh, I don't like to cry. It is not my favorite thing to do. Um, I just, I don't like it, but I just remember I, I pulled her aside and I mean, I just instantly started crying and I was like, you know, I, because I was one of those alcoholics that would come into the rooms and, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a literature major, so I know the big book, I could quote it and, you know, but self-knowledge avails us nothing, right? Like I, I could tell you everything about it. I could, I, I was a big book thumper, but I wasn't staying sober. So like, and I had done the steps, right? But I didn't do an honest and thorough fourth step when I had done the steps and just kind of did this, you know drive-by and uh what was different this time for me was knowing that I knew nothing about staying sober knowing it because I'm because time and time again I had proved to myself that I had no idea what it took to stay sober in theory I did I could tell somebody how you know I could go to meetings work the steps call your sponsor pray and meditate you know read the big book all those things I could I could, I've heard it numerous times and I would say that I was doing those things, but I never surrendered mm. ever. I was too smart, right? The big book talks about that, right? Where the, the intellectuals, um, I had to figure it out. And once I realized that there was no figuring it out and just having to do the work is, was, was a huge turning point for me. I love that, that. I didn't know anything. Yeah, I love that answer. Is it the same sponsor you have now? Yes, it is. So she was my sponsor for quite some time. And then I kind of got away from being sponsored, right? I uh, started doing that where I was too busy, right? Life got busy and, and I forgot that I'm still an alcoholic. I mean, I was working in recovery and, you know, do I was in recovery, but I wasn't being, I wasn't accepting sponsorship. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and uh, I had gotten another sponsor and she was great but I was still kind of in that mode of uh, I don't know if it's a tr it's it's really just a pride thing you know it's ego but I ended up calling my my first sponsor because I, I trust her and you know she has seen me go through a lot of stuff and she's always called me on my nonsense and uh I just, I just love her dearly. I just love her so much. And, um, so yeah, actually a few weeks ago, we were actually talking about sponsors. Um, yeah, I, I actually reached back out to her and she was like, I've been waiting. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love that for you. Yeah, it was, it was good. Mm -hmm. It was good. And so, yeah, it's the, it's the same sponsor and, um, you know, I think, I think that's good. Mm, that's, that's wonderful. Are you or someone you know struggling with the inability to stop drinking? At the Magdalene House, we believe that alcoholic women deserve a place to recover with dignity. In our two-week residential program, clients will be introduced to what alcoholism is and what alcoholism isn't, as well as be presented with the solution, all in a loving and supportive environment. All of our programs are offered at absolutely no cost. And because we accept no government money, we can accept women all over the world and stick to our own curriculum. If you want to stop drinking and cannot, call 214-324-9261 for a phone screen. 
So I saw that you had an experience with step two. Do you mind telling us about that? Sure. So I, uh, you know, I had worked the steps before quite a few times and I never really gave step two much thought. I I knew I had to do it. And so I just kind of, you know, said, yes, I believe in something greater than myself and never really felt that connection to anything greater than myself. I, um, I didn't, I didn't grow up with any religion or really any spiritual beliefs necessarily. Um, just kind of, you know, some Mexican folklore here and there and, uh, kind of weirder stuff like that, but nothing very concrete. You know, my parents never, um, forced that on us and, pretty much told us to make our own decisions. And I'm grateful for that. You know, I, I am now, uh, I was, I, I did have resentments against that for a minute because, you know, I kind of, you know, in my angst, I guess, uh, held that responsible, right? Like if I would have had God, then I would have been, but, but that's not true. Right. Cause I meet so many people in the rooms who grow up with a God and, you know, we're in the same room. So um, it was just kind of my own, my own, uh, journey with it. And so I, this time when I did the steps, I, I was very honest with my sponsor about it. I was like, you know, look, I can recite the poems for you or the poems, the prayers for you and poems. Well, <laughs> knew, knew a bunch of those by memory. I could, uh, you know, quote the big book. I can do all these things. I can say what sounds good. Right. I was a master manipulator. So I can, I can say what sounds nice and good and make you think that I believe and all this stuff. Like I had done with numerous sponsors before. Um, but you know, in order, I, I had to get real honest, um, about not feeling connected. You know, there, those, those prayers were just words to me for, for so long. Um, you know, I, they, I was just repeating them because it was what I was supposed to do or, you know, what I was told to do and, and it, and it meant nothing. And I didn't really know what prayer looked like outside of repeating those words. And so I remember I was, I was still in treatment and, you know, she had me write a list of, you know, what, what the characteristics that I want in a higher power. And I have done that before. And that was, that was fine and wonderful, but it didn't feel real. And then she suggested that I just write letters, just write letters to my higher power, um, as if it were my friend. And (laughs) I'm sure I have those journals somewhere. I mean, I wrote the most outrageous stuff sometimes, like, what's up G baby and G dog and, you know, just, just outrageous things. And, uh, over time, like I looked forward to it, you know, I looked forward to writing to whatever about what I needed help with and and what I was thankful for, you know, those gratitude lists. And I used to hate when people told me to do a gratitude list. I'm like, I'm grateful for everything. Right. But when doing those gratitude list, even for the most basic things, right? Like, um, you know, having experienced homelessness, like I'm super grateful that I own a bed, right? Like I have my name on a lease, like things like that, that I didn't know were possible for me again. 
and uh, that we take for granted. I take it for granted every day, Same. every day, every day. I forget, you know, that, that this is, I have so much to be grateful for. And I, I work with the homeless population, right? I see it every day. I work at a shelter. Um, and I still forget how, mm-hmm. how lucky I am, but as far as step two, you know, I, I started looking forward to writing those letters and I know I have those journals somewhere. I have my first four stuff, which was out of control. And I mean, I have, I have all, I kept all that stuff and not because I really plan on looking back over it because most of it's embarrassing, <laughs> but because it's, it's still good to have around. It's, it's, and, and it, it is a cool progression because at first it was just like, thanks for waking me up, keep me safe, sane, sober, good night. Like that was it. And then it's kind of grew into this really beautiful relationship that I um, really treasured. And, and one, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, I'm of the educational variety. It wasn't like a lightning bolt burning bush moment where I was like, I believe in a higher power. Like it was a very gradual, like it was like having a relationship with anybody, right? You build it over time and there's trust and there's love. And I felt it. And I was also really working hard on meditation. I would like, you know, we didn't have phones or anything. And so I would wake up real early and I would go to the garden and uh, I would count I would do the math on how many seconds it would take to come like to make six minutes. Right. And each week I would increase it by two minutes and I would just go into the garden and count. And that was my meditation. And, um, it, it worked, you know, and, and, and one day I felt loved like the love that I was trying to feel with the bottle, with all the, with, with men, right. With whatever, whatever was changing the way I felt, I finally felt that. And that was my first spiritual experience. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's amazing. On the topic of step two, you also mentioned uh, we agnostics. Do you mind just talking about that chapter and why you love it so much? Sure. Um, so I mean, kind of like I mentioned, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with any of that. And, and I can remember coming into, I remember I was before I really knew I had a problem, uh, just kind of knowing about AA, like, oh, it's a cult, right? It's just God and this, that, and the other. And I'm not going to go into, which I have a funny story about what I'm about to say. I was like, it's just a bunch of old, old men, you know, telling war stories. And let me tell you, my very first meeting was a Sunday night, 6 p.m. meeting. And I was the only woman in the room. It was all older men. And they were like, I promise women come here. I promise, please come back. So I was, and I was like, I knew it. You know, I knew it. <laughs> it's still my home group. A lot of those guys who were in that meeting are, are still around, you know, um, which is really cool. But, you know, we agnostics described me. Yeah. You know, I, I like to like my, I would say my other favorite chapter in the book is um, there is a solution because there's hope in that in that chapter, right? It's 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 hope, but we agnostics made me feel connected because I, you know, even growing up without any religion, you know, I would see families go to church on Sundays or you know pray together, or, you know, whatever, and I didn't have that, right? So I, I felt like, you know, I was undeserving of of God or, um, you know, like it, it wasn't meant for me to, to have, to have faith or to have a spirituality, 
Um, and you know, I was, I was, I was a self-proclaimed atheist for many years, and I believe in nothing. Um, I only, and, and I was just a, a narcissist for many years. I just believe in me, right? Um, and I, there's, there's a man who was at my, at my home group, and I used to go up there early to kind of get away from my dad because we just were at each other's throats all the time. I couldn't stay sober. He didn't get it, you know, and I, and I would just. I would hang out at the group as long as I could. And so I used to get there early for the noon meetings. And one of the guys, I was like, I just don't buy into this God deal, right? It's not for me. And he was like, Alicia, do you believe that you wake up and turn on gravity every day? And I said, of course not. That would be preposterous. And he's like, then you believe in something higher, higher than yourself. Like you believe in a higher power, even if it's whoever turns on gravity every day, right? It's something other than you. And, um, and I stuck with that for a long time. That was my higher power for a long time. Like whoever turns on gravity, that's it. It's not me. And, um, when I, when I would read we agnostics and I would say when, when I was in jail for, uh, the time I was in jail for five months, I read the first four chapters every day, every day, <laughs> you know, we agnostics just, it, 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 it described my belief system or it described the way that I thought about a higher power that had never been described to me before. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the intellectual type. I'm, I'm too smart, right? It has, there has to be logic and reason and, and this, that, and the other, otherwise it's not real. Um, but you know, I took faith in things every day and thinking, um, the 12 and 12, right. It says, you know, we, turn on a light switch, right? And we, we expect for electricity to come on, right? That's faith. That's a, that's a higher power. And so having realized that really my entire life was based on faith, right? I, tr I truly believed that if I, if I made good grades in school and I graduated college, I would have a good life, right? I believed in that. Or I, be I believe that if I, you know, um, was this type of girlfriend, he would love me, right? Or if I did this, he would stay or whatever the case may be, right? I had faith in those types of things. I had faith in fallible things, which are human. But when it came to spirit, which is infallible, I had no faith. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. And we agnostics kind of opened my, my mind to that. Love it. I want to ask you a question, but first I just want to, whenever you said that you read the first four chapters every single day, mm -hmm. I just feel like that also speaks, but you didn't stay sober whenever you nope. got out, right? I, sure so, didn't. I worked the steps in jail via the phone and, and mail. Really? I did. Yep. Oh my God. You have to tell us about that. Okay. <laughs> I worked the steps over the phone and through the mail. And, um, and I read the big book. I, I mean, I read the first four chapters and I would read one story every day that I was in jail. Wow. Every day. And I, and I got out and a week later I was, I was back at it again. So, okay. What does that like look like? You, did you read your four step over the phone or I mailed it? So <laughs> I, <laughs> so I, I mailed it, um, and I had to be a little careful with that 
right? Because there are definitely some things that that are on my fourth step for which, you know, I hadn't necessarily been caught yet. And uh, so I couldn't really put that in the letter or on the phone. Um, But the, but the deal was when I got out, we could sit down and kind of finish the rest. Right. But I, that's not what happened, but um, yeah, she, uh, she sent me like, you know, little spreadsheets of the fourth step. She -hmm. sent me those, um, gave me assignments. I also had a, a really dear friend in the program and and he had helped me tremendously. He's still one of my dearest friends today. Um, and I would talk to him and or his wife every day. We would have a little a little small meeting, right? 15 minute meeting on the phone. Um, I was going to AA meetings in there. I did overcomers in there. I mean, I was so committed and yeah, I did. And, and we would be in my sponsor. We would, I would call her twice a week. And we would talk and we would get through it. And, and then we also wrote letters about, wow. you know, what my step one experience was. I mean, it was all written down and, and sent to her. And I got there. I was helping women in jail that I was with, right? Like get connected to sponsors. I was giving people's phone numbers out. I mean, I was doing the deal in jail. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I mean, you didn't stay sober, but you know, I'm sure like it definitely created a a better experience for you in jail. It it did. It really did. It gave me a a lot of hope and, you know, I can't, I, 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 you know, I can't, I can't go back and change anything, of course, but like my foundation with that was really strong. I just wasn't ready. Like I was ready when I didn't have a choice. Right. (laughs) Um, but when the choice came back to me, I, I, I didn't do it, but it, but you know, I never, I've had numerous relapses. I mean, I've had more sobriety dates than I'll ever remember, but each one of those times, like, you know, I don't believe that you, that you lose that recovery. You know, when I, when I came back, I was, I was ready. Actually, the next time I got sober after that, I had, I turned myself in sober because I had, I had a warrant, went to treatment got out, my probation officer was like, I don't care, go to jail. And so I turned myself in with the foolish belief I would have a bond, no bond. And I I sat in jail for a month sober. Wow. I was mad. Oh, well, maybe you got that you needed to carry the message to people in jail again. Like, you and did. that's what, that's what a lot of people told me. That's what my sponsor told me at the time there, you know, a lot of my support group was like, there's somebody in that jail that needs to hear your message. And that got me through. Oh, that that so got me through. I actually know, I still, I mean, I don't talk to her every day, but I still know a girl who I was in jail with at uh, that time. So wow. she's, she's in recovery still. Oh my God. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. Amazing. Well, I don't know how to transition into this, but we don't have to, there doesn't have to be a smooth transition. Can you talk about your gravesite amends? Sure. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, as I think we all have, uh, lost people, unfortunately, while we were either out or, you know, due to their own disease, you know, it's, uh, it's quite an unfortunate part of, uh, being around recovery or being in recovery. And, um, 
you know, I'll, I'll speak of two and they're my most powerful ones. So one is, is the, the guy who, who died in my arms. Right. Um, I, it was so, I had done a few amends. Like I had made amends to my brother and like, I made amends to my best friend and I made a few amends and like, you know, that was cool. <laughs> I, I didn't, mainly because they were already in my life. Right. And I knew they had already kind of forgiven me, but I had to make those formal amends, you know? And so it was just kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. But then I, I just, I felt compelled to make these graveside amends. And, um, one of them was, was to my friend. And I remember writing, so I wrote a letter that's, I have to do my amends that way. Cause if I just start freestyling it, like I'll, I'll forget 90% of it. So I, I always write out the whole thing and I, and I take my little journal with me and I read it out and, um, and I get it approved by my sponsor. And so, so I did that with, um, with my friend and for a second, I didn't know where to do it. Like, I didn't know, like, do I go back to where we were? running and gunning do I do it from home do I go like what do I do and my sponsor told me just go somewhere where I feel connected to him and so I drove around for you know doing my normal not just driving around for two days but I drove around doing my normal things and and kind of got hit by this like this is the place and so um later on that and I know it's White Rock Lake and uh I was I went back and um found a kind of secluded place and sat down and brought God into it. And, um, you know, I, I, I read the letter out loud and, um, you know, I've already mentioned I'm not, I don't like to cry, but I mean, I, I cried so much and, you know, not, and, and it sucks when those, when those, when there's loose ends, right. When you don't really get to say goodbye, when you don't really get to hear their voice one last time and you know and I and I I I didn't and I can still you know vividly see it in my head you know and uh, I mean like I said I've done a lot of work around it it's you know it's better but I still remember and I could just feel this like wave of warmth just kind of wash over me um and who knows, you know, physiologically that might've just been adrenaline or, or whatever, but I, but it doesn't matter, right? Like it felt real to me. And, um, and I just cried and I sat there and, and I said, you know, thank you for, for letting me know you for the time that I did. And, and that was that. And, and that one was a hard, like, I have a lot of survivor's guilt for that one. Um, and so that was a really hard one for me to do, um, because I didn't feel like I deserved to be forgiven or to be, you know, absolved or, or whatever, you know, for a long time, I mean, I felt like I was a murderer, you know, I felt like it was my fault and, you know, of course I've learned it's not, you know, we're, we're, when we were, when we are in our addictions, it's just a matter of time. So yeah, that was, that was one. And, and have, and so I, I put that one off for a long time because, because of those feelings of, of just being guilty and, 
um but when I finally did it like I felt at peace and that was like that was like a year after I had done like like I said EMDR I had done a lot of lot of work on it and I was finally ready to you know own my part in it and not own my part in a way that wasn't just disastrous to me right and and wasn't and in a in an honest way on my part right because a lot of the things I was telling myself was not honest right it was it was just kind of crazy and then and then my other graveside amends was uh was my friend Aaron he's like a big brother to me he uh he was actually the older brother of uh, my childhood best friend and, uh, you know, as we all got older and, uh, he did, he did a lot of my tattoos, like almost all of them, maybe not now, but I, he had done most of them. He did my whole sleeve and like a couple other things on me. And, you know, so I spent a lot of time with him, spent a lot of time with him, just talking about life. Uh, you know, and when I would get bored, I would just go, he had his own shop and I'd go up to the shop and hang out. I even worked for him for a little bit. Uh, helped him get a shot back up off the ground and, um, you know, just really loved him. Just really absolutely loved him dearly. And like, he would help, you know, with guy problems, right? I was dating somebody who was just, just not nice to me and uh, didn't really know how to navigate that. Um, and he really helped me and just, he believed in me, you know, he was proud of me when I became a teacher and he, uh, just one of the coolest dudes ever. I mean, I just, I just love him so much and I miss him. I mean, I just, I miss him dearly. It'll be, uh, it'll be six years in January that he'll be gone. Yeah. Which is just wild. But all that to say, I started doing drugs in September of 2015. And right before then I was actually kind of working at his shop then just stopped showing up. Right. Cause that's what we do. And I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I was guilty. I just, I felt so, you know, I had, he, he was an addict for the majority of his life. And then he went to prison for a long time. And when he got out, he, he was doing really well. You know, he had a family, he had a son, like got his own shop. Just was like living, the, living his dreams. And I was so ashamed because we had talked about it so many times. And like, you know, he was always telling me like, don't get into that. Like, don't do that. And I did. And I just, I couldn't look him in the face. And so, uh, like, you know, I would check in. I'd be like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm alive, whatever. Um, and then about a week before he passed, I had actually gone up to his, me and my ex had gone up to his shop. My ex went inside the shop. I was too ashamed for him to see me. Um, Cause you know, I just, I just wasn't, I just wasn't looking good. And um uh, I told my ex to tell Aaron, like, I'll see him later. Right. I'll, I'll, like, I'll, I'll come back another day. And four or five days later, he had an aneurysm and uh, went into a coma and, and uh, passed a couple days later. You know, I was mad. I was real mad at God for that. Right. Like, here's this guy who, you know, ran the streets for, for years and years and years and went to prison and, and turned his life around and, and was doing really well and had a beautiful family and had all of everything going for him. Severely talented tattoo artist. And he dies of an aneurysm. Right. Like 
just randomly in the shower with his wife and kid there. Yeah. Um, and I was so mad at myself because I didn't go in and see him. And I knew he was worried about me. I knew it because I mean, he knew me very, very well. Like there was no reason for me to not have gone in there and said, what's up, you know, smoke a cigarette, hang out, do whatever. But he knew, and, and I knew that he knew. And it was just, I was so ashamed. I was so ashamed. And I was so, I was mad. Oh, I was mad. And that kind of fueled my addiction a little heavier, you know? And so you know, when the time came, I knew, I knew, I knew I needed to make amends to him, not because like I was in my addiction necessarily, but because I, I'm, I caused him and I stole his peace of mind, even if it was just a, for a fraction of a day. Right. Even if it was just whatever, like I, I know that I caused harm and, uh, just wasn't a good friend at the end. You know, I wasn't being a good friend. I wasn't honoring my commitments, right? Like I just stopped showing up and I was, you know, pretty much working there. And uh, so the shop is actually pretty close to my house. Um, it's off of Garland Road and it's not a tattoo shop anymore. It, it closed. It's something else now. And so I wrote out my letter and went and drove to the shop, sat in my car and uh, and read my letter to him. And, uh, man, like, I felt like I could breathe after that, you know, because he had been there for me through so much stuff, like through, through so much, so much nonsense. <laughs> and then I stopped showing up, you know, which is, which is pretty normal for a lot of my relationships when I was in active addiction, but, um, that one, that one really hurt. And so I read that letter and I just felt like I could breathe again. And, uh, and I knew, like, I knew he was with me and it's crazy. I have to see, there's other little thing. We have the same initials AMC and, uh, I'll like see that random places like carb, like in the, in sidewalks, like just weird stuff. Right. And so like, there's always just like, I know he's, he's with me, um, you know, navigating this recovery journey. So yeah, those are my two gravesite amends that were really powerful. Yeah, those are super powerful. Um, this has been so good. I know like when I was telling people the podcast I was doing today, uh, people I work with, they're like, oh my God, that's going to be so good. And I was like, I know, right? Um, but no, this has been like- Love amazing. the ladies you work with. I, I love I love me to Maggie's house. Yeah, um, but no, it's been amazing. For our listeners, if you have gotten some from this podcast and taken away from this podcast and feel like you heard something that would benefit somebody else, please send it to a friend or share it um, and leave a review. Our reviews help us reach more alcoholic women, which is what we're trying to do here. So it's not about the review. It's about the women that we can help. So your review makes a difference. Okay. Back to um, our podcast. Now we're getting to the top of the hour, but before I ask the wrap up question, you said that your favorite line in the book was we stood in the sunlight at last. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk, can you explain why that part means so much to you? Uh, sure. You know, um, I love Bill's story. I just love it. 
and I used to when I first read it, I was like, who is this guy? You know, like I didn't I didn't get it. And now I just I absolutely love it. And I love when sponsees are like, who is this guy? I'm like, just just wait, it gets better. Like, let's break it down. And you know, I kind of recounted a little bit of my childhood. It wasn't, you know, sunshine and rainbows by any means. It it was it was dark for a lot of it. Not to say that my parents didn't do their best. They did. They love me. I love them. We have a beautiful relationship today. I love, I absolutely love my family, but you know, back then it was, it was rough. Um, and you know, I, I, I clouded my brain pretty early with, with drugs and alcohol, um, and, and, you know, salacious behavior, if you will. Um, and I, I, I just never, connected to people like I was a people person and you probably couldn't tell from my outward demeanor right and 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 I but I just I did not connect to people I didn't really like people that's why I was a, I was a bookworm and I, I related to you know fictional characters that lived 300 years ago but I didn't really relate to people you know coming into the rooms numerous times every time I came back in, I just felt this cloud over me, you know, I just, everything just, and I, and, you know, now I know that people weren't judging me and if they were, who cares, right? It doesn't really matter, but most people were just glad I was alive. You know, I still have the same home group and, and they never fail to tell me how much they are, they're amazed and glad that I'm alive because they saw me through some rough times, uh, like dead pretty much. Um, and so when I, when I read that line, it, it just, it just reminds me of the moment that I knew that this could work. And AA is scary, like magic, right? Like, it's just, I can remember sitting in a, in a speaker meeting and it was a guy who looked nothing like me, who did not have the same life as me, right? Just totally different. And he was telling my story and, and going into those meetings and it, being the exact topic that I was struggling with. I mean, it still happens today or this, the exact topic I was thinking of. And, and that for me was that sunlight, knowing that I had a place where I was safe, which I didn't have for a long time. My life has been chaos until the last few years. Um, and I liked that, right? I thrived in chaos. Don't, don't we all? And just kind of like having that, that sunlight of the spirit of, of the fellowship, and uh, of, of knowing I don't ever have to get drunk again if I don't want to. Yeah, you have such a beautiful story of like transformation and, and just shows that it can work for, for anyone, no matter what your background is or what your childhood was like or, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I know like you work with, I know you have a heart for the homeless population. I remember you saying that at our, Rosk event. Do you feel like that's partly because you have experience with homelessness? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I worked honestly, like I said earlier, my only plan for life was to be a teacher. I had no other plans. I didn't have a backup plan. I didn't know what I was going to do. And so, you know, I, I lost my, my teaching certificate. I lost my license. Um, actually I can get it back now as of August, I could get it back. I just have to take all the tests again. And like, not ready for that yet. Um, but I've always wanted, I've always been like, I've always wanted to help people. I've always been a, a giver, a teacher, a, 
you know, somebody who's been supportive and I worked in recovery for a little bit and, and I loved that, but like my true passion has been housing and it absolutely is because I know what it is like to sleep on top of a convenience store. I've done it. I've slept on top of a convenience store. I know it's like to sleep on, on a sidewalk. I know what it's like to not sleep because you're scared um, of, of what's out there. I know what experiencing homelessness is like, and it is, it is awful coupled with addiction and alcoholism, it is a scary place to be. You know, I just wanna, I just wanna help the, that population as much as I can. Cause I, I got help when I was like that. Mm -hmm. So good. And the world needs more people like you, that's for sure. And you work for Austin Street, right? Yes, I'm a, I'm a case manager for the rapid rehousing program at Austin Street. Oh, fantastic. Um, if somebody like would want to like help with that, either like volunteer or, you know, donation or anything, like what would they need to do? I, so I know for volunteers, we do have like a volunteer form online. You can just go to austinstreet.org and there will be a link there for, um, I believe for donors and for volunteers. Awesome. And we always need, if, if anybody's cleaning out their closet, uh, we always need clothes or blankets or whatever. Um, we will take it. Oh, that's good to know too. What's your relationship with God like today? You know, I, I realize that God is with me even when I don't seek him. I can't say, I, I am not gonna ever say that I am perfect in my you know seeking of God I'm, I'm not um, I'm, I'm not um, someone who prays every day I, I, I mean I do in my own way right but I'm not like the kind of person who like gets on their knees and prays like I'm, I'm I've never really been that way but just the little things right like I always keep God in my head um but sometimes I forget and sometimes I get into self-will, right? And sometimes it takes me a little bit of pain to get back centered. Mm -hmm. But the great thing about God is that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many days I forget, right? It doesn't matter how much pain I'm in. It does not matter what I do, right? The second that I seek him, he is there. The mm -hmm. second. And really he's there the whole time, but right. if I'm not interested, then it, he's not going to force me. Right. Yeah. But the second that I'm ready, he's there. And, and I, and I remember that. And, and it's, it's less frequent these days. Right. I used to go through these like month long cycles of just pain and, and suffering, knowing the solution. And now it'll be maybe, maybe a week tops. Right. And I'll be like, all right, get back, get back to your program. Uh, mm -hmm. Get back to doing what you need to do. But I mean, my relationship is it's really beautiful. I'd say it is, it is just as important to me as my relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is something I gained in recovery. I didn't have that before. It's fantastic. So what, like, whenever you were talking, it reminded me of like two different parts in the book. And like the first one with, you know, you working in housing, whenever you had planned to be a teacher is on page 100, whenever it says like, when we look back, we realize that we, when we put ourselves in God's hands, some, I'm paraphrasing it, but it, our, it worked out better than we could have ever planned. 
You know right. What I'm right. Um, I wish I had my book so I could read it. And then like, God does not make too hard of terms for those who seek him. Yep. You know? Exactly. It's, it's really cool to see those promises and, and not only my own life, but in somebody else's life. Yeah. It's really cool. I remember seeing those promises and being like, that'll never happen. Yeah. That won't happen for me. And they, they've all happened and they continue to, it's not like, it's not like it's one promise. Right. And then that's it. Like those promises continue throughout, throughout recovery. Yeah. Well, this has been a fantastic interview. Oh my gosh. I knew it was going to be good, but this has been wonderful. Um, I'm so glad we were able to do it. Me too. I'm so glad it worked out. So my wrap up question is if you could leave the listeners with one takeaway, whether it was for someone getting sober, staying sober, like if this whole podcast was going to be deleted, except for this one final thing, um, what would you want to leave the listeners with? You know, I want to say something really cliche, like stay, right? Which is, <laughs> which is true, stay. Yeah. But I would say that even if it doesn't feel like it, and even if it's not your best day, because they're not, most days are not going to be your best days, stick with it. You don't have to be perfect. You do not have to do this thing perfectly every day. None of us do. We are not saints, right? But just try again tomorrow and come back. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Thank uh, you. Yeah, you have such an amazing story. Thank you. Uh, well, uh, hopefully I'll see you soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm around. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at MagdalenHouse.org.